Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Stop, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Tales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this continued exploration of faith during this time of crisis, and I'm joined as always by director of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you doing? Good day to you, Lindsay. Um, it was a bit challenging today. Uh, yesterday, uh, when I was bedding somebody age 25 and he was shot dead, and um, very mournful um, service as a result of that. So I'm bearing a bit of the scars of the uh, the grief of what's going on in our communities where gang violence is just out of control. He's one of two of a last weekend that got killed um, apparently by heats and mis- uh, mistaken identity. Mm-hmm. So this weighs a bit down on, on us and we think of families in that context. So that is a bit a bit challenging for me at the moment. But generally speaking, uh, we're all well. Um, my wife and I are looking forward to the second um, dose of our vaccine uh, on the 9th. And, um, yeah, it's also devastating to see and hear about infections and hospitalizations and isolations and deaths of people who've now contracted the Delta variant. Mm. And young people are also, younger people are also um infected so yeah we we literally living again as you said earlier in a time of crisis Mm. yeah definitely um this delta variant i was talking to you just before we hit record uh that that has challenged a lot of my own theories about covid 19 um i'm also coming around to the the lab leak theory um after reviewing some new data uh but thankfully um we got word this morning or yesterday, Saturday, uh, that the Sinovac uh, vaccination, the Chinese one that has been approved by the um, to for use um, in South Africa, and yeah, we should be getting a couple of shipments of that soon. And I believe forty plus the vaccination program will be open to those forty and over by the end of the month, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, uh, those that is very very new. Um, revelations that have come out via my my network of sources. So please do not quote me on that. I should probably <laughs> edit that bit out. <laughs> Spreading yeah. misinformation. I, uh, but yes, this is a, a crazy time. I've been hearing, I was telling you, I was hearing so many stories of children who are being admitted to hospital, um, COVID positive, having symptoms. And it's, it's yeah, it's it's been, it's been quite crazy. And I hear California have, re-implemented the mask mandate because of the Delta variant, um, which is good because, yeah, anything that happens in California kind of seeps through the rest of the world's consciousness. Okay. Yeah. I just hope that we take this seriously uh, as we should and be responsible about our activity and so on. Mm, Yeah, there's worrying data coming out of India now where there's a I mean, the southern provinces, um, a new mutation of the Delta variant, which has been called Delta Plus, which is even more aggressive. So, I mean, to go in the space of like three or four months, firstly, to a new variant and then a mutation of that variant is just 
insane. This virus is evolving quickly, but our responses are becoming better. And I think this is a good time for you to please call together our minds with the collect, and I'll catch up with you after that. Good day to you all, and thank you for joining us in this podcast. Um, I greet you in these words. The God of hosts who was with David is with you. And the theme we will perhaps be exploring a little later in our conversations is on Mark 6.6. He was amazed at the unbelief and then went about among the villages teaching. Let us now pray together the collect for this week. And it is on your screens. Lord Jesus Christ, we are often blind to the miracles you work among us. Conform our minds to yours and sustain us by your mighty power. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the unity of the blessed Trinity, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So we are still exploring 2 Corinthians. We are in chapter 12 this week. And there's an interesting little backstory. So Paul has had an amazing revelation. Like he was seeing all sorts of visions. Um, and now he is in this place. And I, I don't like the translation um, that you have used. There's another version that goes... And lest I should be exalted above my measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above my measure. I love, I love that idea that he's now not wanting to be filled with too much pride um, and being brought down to earth, back down to earth. And three times I appealed to the Lord about this that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. We have spoke at length about grace over the last couple of weeks. And now we are talking about, I think something that we can relate to the situation that Jacob Zuma is in, where the power that he had, he was caught up in the boastfulness. Like if even if you look at all the deals that happened on his watch and how it just sold South Africa down the river, where he actually wasn't the power player in that he was but a pawn that the likes of the Guptas and many other more clever organizations um, just used and abused him to gain profits, long-term profits. And he just but ended up with a little palace on a hill that is now being defended. So how to you can you say that power is made perfect in weakness? Well, my first response obviously is that um, this is related more to the power of God mm. um, rather than to our sense of human power. Um, and this, remember there was a, a um, Paul saying that 
what is foolish to the world is wise by God. Mm. So in weakness, in my sense of weakness, God is made, when God works in my weakness as I hold it before him, um, it's not my weakness that's the focus, it's the power that helps me journey through the weakness. And I just want to tell a little story based on this. A young man was having a conversation with his rabbi, asking, where is the Messiah? Mm. Now, Paul says, for power is perfect in weakness. So that would relate to us, where is God? Mm. And um, the Messiah said, um, the, the, the rabbi said to him, go and ask him yourself. So he said, but where he, so he, the question, sorry, was when is the Messiah coming? So the rabbi says, go and ask him yourself. Well, where is the Messiah? He said, go and ask him. He's sitting at the gate. Mm. Sitting at the gate, he says, he's, he's sitting amongst the poor. Binding up his wounds one by one. Because everybody else is binding up their multiplicity of wounds. But the Messiah sits there binding up one wound at a time so that when he's needed, he is ready to assist. Mm -hmm. And the readiness is caught up in that one, uh, one clip. I must bind up my wounds one by one so that when I'm needed, I know how to bind up the wounds of others so that they are they are cured. Each wound is something I need to look at. So where is where is the Messiah? Where does God find himself? Uh, what is, do we get confused about calling God powerful God? And in our estimation, God is beating up everybody around us. Um, and then, but, but where did Jesus show God's love? In the weakness of the cross, um, in the in his presence with the powerless um, and the vulnerable, so here in his weakness, mm. the power of God is the presence of God, bringing what only God can bring by grace, and that is healing and wholeness. And life where death is present. Okay. I, I still feel like in the in the case of Mr. Zuma, um he thought he was powerful. He thought his team, him and his team were caught up in the arrogance. They took that case all the way to the constitutional court where it cannot be overturned. If a ruling happens there, it cannot be overturned, but for a very particular set of constitutional um, limitations. Uh, and they lost, and now he must go to jail. And where is his power now? Where are all the connections that he has made? So I, I will use a counter analogy where it's like um, when I am committed to my fitness 
um, or at least a couple of years ago when I was still quite deep into like the CrossFit culture and that sort of thing and preparing myself for anything. Um, and because you you have to work across so many different movements, like gymnastics to strength to like agility, you always need to be working on your weaknesses because you never know when those will be chucked at you in a workout. And it's in those moments when you really feel like you just want to give up um, that all of that preparation and training and conditioning comes out where it's like, if you just decide to do the thing, like your body can do it because you've prepared yourself for it. And that, for me, like that, because even here Paul says, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So my read is that he can only show the true power of Christ if he embraces his weaknesses and boasts of it, but still manages to succeed in spite of the point that he is in, or at least the, the place that he is in. So like for... You, Again, we, we come back to this thing of, of the grace, and here Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, where it's like that exists within humans. Like People like me just don't choose to label it as something that comes from God. It's, it's something that you've built up through your preparation, through the, the process of getting to where you are. So when you get knocked down, you can just fall back on all of, all of that condition. I think a taste of power in the human sense uh, gives us the understanding, gives us the illusion, sorry, that if I can have this little bit of power, then I can have, I can have holistic power. Mm. And the power then is to ensure that I am at the top and that the rest of the people are, behind, are, are, down, are down at the bottom with me. So I create an illusion about that power, which does not show any weakness and should anybody see a weakness and criticize it i can i can shut them up mm. whereas whereas so what what in your your illustration of working on your weaknesses so that you can you through your body exercises so that you can be powerful to do whatever it is needs to do what does that power reveal that your weaknesses are always with you mm. so what is paul saying yeah my weaknesses is always with me how then do I manage this weakness? I experienced an experience where I may become too elated because I had all of these wonderful visions that may, that may give me a sense that I may be so powerful. Mm. So I'm brought down to size. I'm, I, I recognize that this bloated ego is not where my true self is. And so in order to keep me humble, I need to accept as your as your athlete, as your athlete does, I know where my weak points are. And because I know my weaknesses, I then have to work on them. I have to concentrate on them. Where where will my strength come from? So the exercising of your body in terms of the athlete, the exercising of faith, my grace, whose mm -hmm. grace? He said to me, God's grace. So so God's God's power works in the grace of God. It doesn't come, you know, with with force and all of that. What does it come? I'm able to to hold my weaknesses before God, who does not reject me because I have weaknesses. 
but rather embraces me so that by his grace I can find uh, healing and wholeness. I can be on the journey to healing and wholeness. That's not about power for me, but it's God's power of of grace and of love and of lo- and of life working within me and through me. But what was that statement that was said? When 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 we have ultimate power, I think that's what we want to to gain. That's what that may be. I'm not saying totally. This may be where Mr. Zuma is. This may be on the different stages of life. Politicians who want to be around for the for the for all of their lives, they want they they they, they have this gla- this glamorous understanding of being in power for life. I mean, we had presidents of nations that used to do that. Mm-hmm. And just uh, um, you know, somebody picked up their weaknesses and they were shattered. Mm-hmm. So 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 power and ultimate power is an illusion. You know, um, I think if we true to the athlete story, we will realize no, there's lots of things we've got to work at. Mm. So with with the, with the Christian, so the person of faith has to has to embrace their weakness, mm. has to embrace and hold that before God for God's help. Um, that's how I would understand it. Um, mm. I mean, and it's not just Mr. Zuma. It's I mean. Churches now thinking that they can, they're more powerful than COVID-19. Mm. So we will continue worshipping. COVID can do nothing to us. Isn't that um, falsifying the power of God? That, that it is. But I, I, I respect this. I, I think that the thread I'm picking up here is that, like, true power comes through the work to get there. So it's like, if you were given something without having earned it, you have a warped perception of it. Like, look at what's happening in Swaziland now, where the people are rejecting the monarch because the monarch is now, um, the king has been living a wonderful life while the people have been suffering. And they're like, actually, we're done with this now. Can we actually have, like, one of us who we elect to be the head of this country? Because they know what we are going through. Like, you do not know for generations, um, Swati says, like, this has been your position. You weren't elected. You were handed this. Or you said you were handed this by God. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, like, in that moment of weakness, I, I guess the, the thing that I'm catching on to is, like, your strength comes from your preparation. Like if you are working towards a goal and you have the little setbacks, focusing on the goal and how far you have come can get you through those setbacks and understand that they are but only little pockets of of downs in along the, you know, sometimes you're climbing a mountain, it seems like you're staying on the same level. Yeah. <laughs> or you go backwards yeah. to go a little bit further forward, you find a different path. Uh, yeah, like like that. So so yeah, the, the the power comes from the journey, and when you in those weak moments, you should reflect on the journey that you have been on and the lessons you have learned. But Paul and Paul is saying, "I'm not on this journey alone. God is with me." Paul can say that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and let's move on to the the gospel, which is according to Mark, and it, we are in chapter six, verses one to thirteen. So I'll give a little bit of a summary uh, because the interesting bits is at the bottom. 
so Jesus goes back to his hometown and on the Sabbath he begins to teach in the synagogue and then the people are like, where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? And they look and they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. Before we get to, 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 to the juice, I need you to help me understand what is being meant here. I'm, I'm, I, I don't follow this passage very well. And I have looked at a couple of other translations, but, but I'm not fully understanding what Jesus is saying here. So one of the one of the, um, the the things that Jesus does, having left his hometown to go on his mission, was to come back through his hometown to continue his journey mm-hmm. towards Jerusalem. Now, of course, stories must have flooded out uh, because I mean the region is not big, and people were always migratory because they were traveling. Stories were to come back to his hometown, um, you know, about what he's up to. So going back to the hometown now, um, this whole thing about he began to teach in the synagogues, he would have had to be invited by the local president of the synagogue to be able to teach in the in the synagogue. So it must have been, I'm assuming, somebody that knew him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, and knew him enough to be able to say that what he has to say has some worth to listen to. So um, so he comes back, and of course there are people that know him. And 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 the question in the astoundment is where did he get all of this from? So he was away for the time. Thirty-three years old is when he starts his. Uh, Thirty years old when he starts his ministry, his public ministry, uh, at least the, the record of his public ministry. Mm. And so now he comes back and dishes out all of this wonderful things that they don't, don't seem to have heard in the in the synagogue before. But why specifically does he have all of this? Where did he get it? He didn't. You see, the, the, their specific culture was, unless you were taught by a well-known rabbi whom you could use as your source, as you said earlier, all your sources that you have, then people would acknowledge you because the rabbi would have been a famous uh, interpreter of mm. the Torah and of the prophets and of the writings in the Old Testament. So so now, what school did this guy go to? What rabbi did he sit under? Um, and this wisdom that that has been given to him, he didn't have it before. Mm. At least we don't know that he had it before. But but this way, Luke, I, I, Luke is the only one that records an incident when Jesus was twelve, yes. talking to the leaders. But Mark doesn't recall record that particular what's name story itself. Remember, Mark was the first gospel that was written. So that story, Mark didn't, either it wasn't there yet, or it was something Mark didn't think was going to be helpful to his to his message. And then so the wisdom, the deeds, uh, are something that they, you know, this, this boy who grew up about amongst us now suddenly is giving us all of these things, and we don't know where he got from. So now, it, and I, I think, you know, the gospel goes into the identity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Is this not the carpenter? So, by the way, who is this guy, really? 
you know, he grew up amongst us, so we know enough about to say, man, he's just a carpenter, wasn't he? And of course, his mother and his brothers, we all know them. Mm. And they're nothing special. So where is this carpenter now able to tell us all these things? And I, and they take offense at him because, because of what, jealousy? But it's 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 his response that I I I am troubled by. Um, prophets, prophets are without honor. Yeah, are not without honor, except in their hometown. Is he saying that okay. thing of like, you can be whoever you want to be outside, but when you come home, the people know who you are. So then you have to work harder to convince them. I think that is the truth because people. People know where, where you come from, what you've been doing with. You know, I'm, I'm often humble, and I say this in the kindest of possible way. I can be to people out there in the congregations that I served. This maybe um, maybe it could be said of me, he's a good priest. Mm. Maybe mm. it could be said of me that he's um, a warm-hearted pastor. But when I get back into my my home. I am husband and father. Mm. And I am checked on my humanity. Um, the same family that listens to my, my ministry, that's involved in my ministry and has been for all the parishes that I've attended, that I've been mm. part of, would let me recognize the same thing that Paul went through. Stop, you know, being elated because people think you're a good priest end of the day you're just a human being and so get off that pedestal because we know who you really are um so even if they hear words of astonishment and this is where i compliment my family if they find that i preached okay if they found that i did a daily devotion okay they will say to me thank you for that message mm. so in a way I may be a prophet to others, but when I come back home, am I still a prophet <laughs> with honor? <laughs> so I think there is a sense in which jealousy could have come up. And also this, this competitive nature. I mean, He's just a carpenter. So who's a carpenter to come and tell us all these things? And know how he's talking to us in the place of worship. Mm. So, you know, um, remember there was a time when Desmond Tutu and, and um, Nelson Mandela were for a season people that were listened to. As soon as we got the new democracy, there were people that wanted them out. Because whatever their methodology was in trying to keep this nation together, some of the new guns were not on the same passage. So those very prophets that were special to us during the times of our party were no longer wanting to be heard. Their voices were silenced. Mm. People didn't want to listen to them anymore. I remember, and I'll just I'll conclude with this section, we had... Desmond to the call together a, a, a service of celebration for the democracy that we now are beginning to enjoy. Um, Archbishop Trevor Huddleston, who was part of our struggle in South Africa for many years, mm. was invited back to, to, to Cape Town. There was a service at the Cathedral Church one evening where he was preaching. 
Nelson Mandela had been freed. Um, Desmond said, this is a time to say thank you to God. The cathedral normally packed out when these very people were the spokesperson against that party. There was enough space for more to come in. Mm. The aisles were packed with people. Those very prophets that spoke for justice now were prophets of thanksgiving. And they were not honored by the populace, but by few. Why? 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 Why do people do that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I have a, a troubled history with a lot of legacies. Um, like that of Nelson Mandela. I'm very much in the in the camp of like Kodesa was not good for our current democracy because it didn't level the playing field in economically. It just allowed a lot of people to get away with things and maintain their wealth. Um so like I I enjoy I, I will say I enjoy it. I enjoy poking holes in in the legacies. And I guess that comes out a lot in, in this as well, the way I, I read Jesus. Um, because it's like we, we should never be, we should never think of people as more than people. And I, I try and, like Monique doesn't really listen to the podcast anymore <laughs> because she lives with me. So she gets this older, like I am always like this, the way I am on this podcast, the way I am when I'm dealing with clients, the way I am when I'm speaking to my family, I'm, I'm always like this. I don't have a difference because I, I think it's important that I be honest with myself as far as possible at all times. And that honesty should come out in the way I deal or at least relate to people. Um, I, I, yeah. I agree. I agree about that. We, what we are saying as the church, alongside this world that we came, we came in with all, all these kind of things, there is a narrative of a man who walked this earth on our behalf mm. to bring changes that no one else could do. And he wasn't just a man. He may have been the Messiah at the gate who was binding up his own wounds, but he sat and sat amongst the poor. But he was no ordinary one because he was thinking about his wounds in so many different ways than those of us that were wounded. Here, he says prophets. At that stage, he wasn't even saying what he truly would become. Why is it that people find it okay to listen to Mr. Zuma and to Mr. Trump with their rhetoric that there is no truth in most of the time. Here somebody comes to share something that is recognized as wisdom and that the deeds of power that are done by his hands are for the benefit of people. But he, and he gets offense what is it about us that opens up to somebody's nonsense rhetoric and yet 
when we're given something of benefit, we reject it. And then even amongst the people that knew Jesus, should they not have been elated and said, you know, we are proud of you. We are grateful for what you have shown us today. We embrace what you're trying to do for us and for others that you will meet. Were they afraid that if they embraced his wisdom and followed him that they would end up being rejected by the synagogue and the leaders? Were they, fear, were they fear that this may cause a rise up against the political authorities of their time? Was the offense based on fear? Was it based on jealousy? When what he was doing was beneficial, they were offended after they were astounded. Mm. There's three emotions that are sent here. One, they were astounded. They took offense. And verse 6 says, um, his response to this was, he was amazed. Three emotions that are very interesting uh, set up in here. And two is that of the, how do you move from being astounded to offense and to rejection, almost in the same breath. When what was given to you, what was spoken to you, what what you saw, was for the good of all, because it was for the good of the one or two or three that um, received it. And and wisdom. Why would anybody reject wisdom? And yet people do. But a man like Mr. Tam gets up to talk. The same rubbish he's been speaking. Zuma gets up to talk. The same rubbish he's been speaking. Ah, oh, what wonderful people they are. That we will even say, we are 100% Zuma will die for him. The same they're saying for Trump. But for, for people who are wanting to do good, people who are wanting to embrace and bring people together, People are wanting to um, work for the good of all are often rejected. But remember, so like Nazareth is this little outpost in the north. Sure. Um, at the time, obviously, it wasn't as interconnected as we are today with roads and stuff like that. So they would have been far removed from what was going on in Jerusalem. So now they've seen this person grow up in a community and outside of so i came into this gospel and i meet my knee-jerk reaction was like but he's a known quantity like wasn't he preaching <laughs> probably in the synagogue as a child but did he did you remember where his ministry started sea of galilee yes so would have been outside of his hometown yes yes but did i'm saying like yeah, remember so, he, his hometown became Capernaum. Remember our journey with him? Oh, Capernaum yes. became the hometown? Yes, yes. So he moved away from Nazareth. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so what, what the point I'm trying to make is the community was still probably associating him with the person that they knew before he started sure. his, his ministry. Sure. So like it's like, cool, you're saying all these amazing things, but like, A... Dude, aren't you like the carpenter? And like, yeah. B, how does this affect us? Because like, this would be revolutionary 
and cause a lot of uproar at the seat of power in Jerusalem. Um, but in a more, like on the outskirts, it's, it's kind of like how coloreds feel that we are not really affected by um, like the black struggle because of the trifamoral government and like uh, all that kind of baggage, historical baggage that we have. So we believe that we occupy this different space in society. So we don't have to worry about those things. And then we still use, many of us use the, the language of they and them. And now when the, the shacks are being flooded and it's like, because they wanted to put up their thing there. And it's like, well, the houses that the government built <laughs> in the retreat are also flooding with roads and everything um, just as badly. So that's kind of the same situation, isn't it? Uh, but it never is. Yeah. So, so what is it? What is what is it then at the core of the issue here that our response would be offence? Is it anger? Is it powerlessness? Is it um, is it the fact that we were never recognised? Is it fear? Um, and what platform is this expressed on? Mm. Um, so that I think is is what we need to get. And why at the core of of the what is at the core of the offense that Jesus, according to Mark, it now says in verse six, he was amazed, no longer at the offense, but at their unbelief. Mm. So why was it so difficult to believe? the wisdom that was given to him. Why um, was it so difficult to see that, where did he get all this from? You know, to, in, to be intensely said, you know, what he is producing in front of us today is of benefit for us. That if we take this and run, it will be for our growth and our empowerment. But rather... They rejected him. Why? Because they brought him down from where they assumed he was at the top. A man of wisdom, a man had stuff in him that they didn't know before. His power to to do things with, uh, to bring healings, I suppose. Mm. And then, but, but really, no, he, he's just a carpenter. So maybe they saw him as a fake. I don't know. I think I think what he was telling them wasn't from their perspective. I think, and he realizes it. I think he realizes that maybe what he was preaching, like he was pitching it at overthrowing the current status quo, whereas. When you're not in Jerusalem, the problems become a lot more simpler, but more like closer to the human experience, where it's like, it's not these grand ideas of politic, like politics and like the balance of power and all of this. It's like, we need to eat <laughs> and clothe ourselves. And I think he realizes that's why he sends, that's why he then says, okay, cool, I need to 
jol around here with these villages and get my message more grounded in this community, like reevaluate what I'm saying and how to communicate it to these people and address their needs from where they are. And then he sends out the apostles two by two and he orders them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, um, and not to put on two tunics, which <laughs> is hilarious. Um, and then he says to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So there's two things there. Like one is Jesus realizing that he needs to reassess his message and include that community as well and build his power base there. And then he now sends out these lieutenants and he gives them the power to drive out unclean spirits and all that stuff. And then I, I don't get this, but he's like, why would you give testimony against an area if they reject your message? Shouldn't that be the very place that you should be trying to open up those conversations? Well, I think the action of 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 what he says, shake off the dust, um, uh, is an action that must make them think about what it is that they uh, have just refused to hear. So there was a confidence, I suppose, in that message that she was bringing to people. And obviously, uh, given the fact that you now separated them far from Nazareth, far from Jerusalem, um, uh, Jesus was, I believe, trying to empower people who were powerless. He was, yes, if you empower people who are powerless, you're moving them out of their comfort zones. Mm. And... When you move them out of these comfort zones, just mere fact of saying, so it means I've got to operate differently for my benefit and others. It may mean that I will now become a bigger threat to those who govern me. So Jesus was showing them through his disciples that his message was one that would bring transformation much needed in their communities and in the world. Um, he had confidence in his message. Um, and so he showed them, showed them by shaking the dust off their feet so that they can think about why they refused to hear this message. What was the reason for them not wanting to embrace this? Uh, with, with what other message are they sitting with that are giving them hope? And here I come to give them wisdom and hope. I come to help them know that I'm about liberation because I deal even with evil spirits. And I sit them free and they can see it. Seek are made well. I'm all about healing and wholeness. I'm all about liberation. Um, did that frighten people that they refused? Um, you know, I mean, here we're dealing with how a message is refused. I have no understanding of what goes on in the pews about those who hear when I preach, when I interpret a text uh, to people. Do they just not hear? 
or is there refusing to hear? There's many things I've said from the pulpit in notices, for example, where you're encouraging the congregation to come to. And there's few that will come, others who don't come. Not necessarily refusing to come, it's just that they don't see that as part of there was a year, there was a definite sense that this message of Jesus was rejected, even through his disciples. So I would say it's, and it was, wasn't beating them up and saying, you better year. It was giving them something to think about more deeply. Mm. What, what these guys said, what was its meaning that we had opted to say their message was not important? The actions that they did in terms of healing, their call to repentance, that was not important at all. What Jesus was doing was creating the society that people really wanted but was afraid to move in because the other systems kept them enslaved mm. in their minds, in their spirituality, in their actions, in their sense of self. Um, and so the, the, the radical nature of Jesus' ministry was also to, to show people, you know, you reject this at great loss to yourself. But I have to move mm -hmm. on. And this is why I use verse 6 as the theme. He was amazed at their unbelief, but he wasn't phased. He strongly mm -hmm. believed in who he's supposed to be and what he was supposed to bring, and he created the community of the twelve to assist him in all of this. Um, that was his calling, that how deep his calling was. That was his purpose in the world. And how does he water down the purpose just so that people can accept him? He wasn't going to, he wasn't going to, like you earlier said, he was honest about who he was, who he was meant to be to the world as he journeyed with it, put step by step in the dusty roads um, of the Middle East. He was honest about what he was coming to do. He was honest with what he was about, what, what he needed to say. And where did he need to bring this message to? Not to the authorities, but to the enslaved people of the authorities. To those rejected to the outskirts, to those dumped in villages powerless in their lives. Even the synagogue's leadership controlled their spirituality and their belief systems. And so Jesus comes to liberate on all levels of life in honesty. And when you're honest, you're radical. And when you're honest and radical, you're also transformative. Well, we hope so. <laughs> I had a couple of client meetings this week where <laughs> there was one rejection and then um, there was a couple of others where you, because I don't pull punches, I, and like 90% of the time, if you are bringing me onto a project, it's to enhance something that you a weakness of your business 
and I'm going to explain to you wh what I see your weaknesses. And a lot of people aren't willing to hear that because they feel like it's a personal attack on them because they had then hatched or at least set up that strategy. And here you come along and you just chop mm. it down. But I, 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 I like this story because to me it shows a Jesus who maybe got a bit too caught up in the grand scheme and now understands that he needed to focus his message to the details, you know, like the everyday kind of, it, it's like politics as well, where the DA, bless their souls, will have all these lofty ideas and plans about how the government should be running the country and all the mistakes that are being made and how they're going to take Cape Town and make it, uh, or at least the Western Cape, and make it um, independent. And it's like, so how are you going to keep the lights on, dude? <laughs> like, your contribution to GDP is not that much. You're not the manufacturing powerhouse of like a, a Barcelona or like a Catalan region where I respect their push for independence because they don't get... Um, enough support from the government or a representation in the Spanish government that is uh, equal to their GDP contribution, which is, is insane. Whereas here in Cape Town, it's like, yeah, you have a mountain, you have a little bit of tourism, but you're not doing so hot on like the, the import stuff. And you can't even afford to buy Kuberg, to be completely honest. Uh, but yeah, those are other things. Um, I will close off on that. Um, Father, if you could please... Also, add a few closing comments and then extract a few more reflections from the praise of the church. Thank you very much for this conversation. The, lost, the lofty scheme you talk was actually a death on the cross. The purpose behind the death on the cross. <laughs> <laughs> so our brothers and sisters, as we continue to sing our praises to God, let us continue to pray as the people of God and give thanks to God. So this week we pray that the God of grace will fill God's church with diverse gifts. And as we pray that, we think of the church in a time of crisis and the gifts that are needed in the church to hold the church together as well as to be a positive influence in society. And the gifts that God brings to the church is to is in and through the people of the church. We also pray that the churches will learn to speak of one with one voice in this COVID period. Lockdown is not closed down. Church is still a vessel God must fill with grace for the purposes of society. So we pray to the God of grace that God will give to all in authority the wisdom and strength they need to match the hour. That God will open the hearts of all to share of our bountiful goodness. God will pour out his healing spirit on all who are in need. 
and that God will continue to be with all those who mourn the loss of loved ones. We now are responsible to entrust to God all who have died, especially Carlisle and Soren, young men shot down in their prime. We entrust them into the hope of God's life and love. As Delta variant continues to affect, now with a new variant of that particular virus variant, COVID strikes us squarely. Transmissions have increased, children are now infected. New vaccines are possible. Our praise, author of life and savior of the nations. COVID is humbling. Your grace is sufficient. The deaths we mourn, for the recoveries we give thanks, for the compassionate care we applaud, for the vaccines we are grateful, for compliance we plead, for the common good we pray in the healing name of Jesus. And into a world that is so bound up with violence, we pray against this with awareness, advocacy, and activism. Great God, before whom kings and rulers assemble, shatter the grip of abuse and violence in our hearts, on our minds, in our memories, in our homes at places of work and learning and other social contexts. Shepherd the wound to subdue the perpetrators and help us all to ponder on your steadfast love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray that God may bless Africa and all continents, guard our children, guide our leaders and give us peace. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And so in conclusion, my sisters and brothers, go now and wherever people will hear you, proclaim the life-changing love of God. Do not fear your weakness, for when you are weakest, Christ's strength is known. Travel lightly, live simply, and honor those who welcome the gospel. And may God be your protection and safe haven. May the power of Christ Jesus dwell in you. May the Holy Spirit be your guide forever. So go in peace, my sisters and brothers, to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.